This reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 17. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Thank you. Let me just... going to do this. Um... Hi, everyone. If you've never met me before, my name is Alice, um, and I work at... Can this go up or no? Okay, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, guys. Um, my name's Alice. I work at St. Peter's, which is in Broccoli. I feel like I'm part of your family, so it's lovely to be here. It's lovely to see you all. I've been here a few times, but not for a while, so it's particularly nice to be here, although I was here yesterday. Guys, what a day. Um had so much fun and also to encourage you had so many amazing conversations with community members who had been invited or who had got a leaflet through the door who had never been here before and I just had so many conversations where people were just absolutely amazed that this is what church feels like or this is what church could be like for them and so I think today before I even say anything I want to encourage us that I think you guys were practicing being salt and light yesterday and so it's a good place to start. And um, I think that God has some incredible plans for this church and for Forest Hill and Sydenham. Um, okay, so I obviously haven't been here the last few weeks, but I've been told that you've kind of been in a series about love, which sounds amazing. You've explored God's love for you and for me and for us our love for God, and now I want to spend some time exploring and thinking about what it looks like to love the world in the power of Jesus. And now just some context from our passage today. This passage is part of the Sermon on the Mount, so arguably Jesus' most famous and also most radical teaching. Just before this passage, he's talked about, um, he's kind of walked the the crowd through the Beatitudes. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That bit, we all know that stuff, that, that list of 10 or 11. And it's after this that Jesus begins to teach us about our identity as his followers He wants us to know what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to relate to one another, how we're supposed to relate to the world. And through today's passage, I think he particularly answers, sorry, random hair, answers these two questions. Who are we? And therefore, how do we then act as a result of who we already are? And he does this through two metaphors. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And Jesus is telling us, if you're a follower of me, then you should be salty and you should be shiny. So what does that actually mean in practice? Well, let's start with salt. Firstly, I think it's important for us to know that salt in Jesus' time isn't like salt in our time. 
producing salt was an absolute labor of love. It was labor intensive, it was expensive, so much so that it was used as a currency. In fact, there's some historical evidence to say that Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt. Cakes of salt were also traded um, for gold in sub-Saharan Africa. Webs of salt roads would be created to move this precious material from one country to another. So before anything, I think that Jesus is saying that we, his people, are precious, we are important, and we have the opportunity to be influential. And it reminds me of when, you know, when Jesus is first baptized, the first thing that God says to him is, this is my son of whom I'm well pleased, before he does anything. It's like the, the love of God being poured out upon him. And I think when Jesus talks about us being salt, the first thing he wants us to know is that he is saying we are really important. We are really precious. There is something about who we actually just are in Jesus where he's just saying over us, you are my child and I'm well pleased before you do anything. But of course, salt is also crucial in other ways. Salt we use to flavor things. And I would argue when you taste something that is perfectly seasoned with salt, it's like craveable. It, this is the reason we like, I mean, I'm obsessed with crisps. If you ever want to buy me a gift, just buy me some kind of crisp I've never tried before. Um, but we're meant to be salty for God, showing the world how the presence of Jesus in our lives makes a difference. We're called to stand out in a way that we, in the way that we live, in the way that we love others, the way that we lead, the way that we do our jobs, the way that we have confrontations with our roommates, the way that we're married, the way that we're single, um, the, the way we talk to other parents on the school run. Our lives are meant to bring flavor to a flavorless world. Because the truth is, people out there are longing for God. People out in Forest Hill and Sydenham are desperate to meet Jesus. They don't know it's him they're looking for, but all of their lives are an example of them trying to medicate emptiness, medicate what they don't have. Um, one of the most prominent columnists of the last century called Bernard Levin explained it like this. Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with non-such material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many cars and televisions they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. I think our lives as Christians are supposed to point their thirst their emptiness to the, towards the only person who can really satisfy them, living water, the person of Jesus. And as I said, we all know that eating salty food makes us thirsty. I want to challenge us to start thinking about how we can live, how we can love people in a way that makes them thirsty for Jesus. How do we interact with people in such a way that makes them begin to see that God, the God that we know, is the only thing that can satisfy them because we actually look different to them. We don't look thirsty anymore. We look satisfied. 
couple of examples of this. I am um, so at St Peter's, one of my key roles is that I oversee a course called the Life Course. So we run a seven-week course where we basically present both um, questions of life, like what brings meaning to life, is there an overarching meaning to life, and also the person of Jesus. So I basically get up and do a 20-minute talk and go, what about this thing about Jesus? And then we go into groups and like talk about it. And um, in my group, this last life course, which literally finished last week, um, there was a guy who had been invited by one of my friends, Anne, and um, when he first started talking about why he had come to the life course, I remember him saying, when I met Anne, I just had this weird knowing sense that God was pursuing me. And I remember thinking, what do you mean? Like, in my head, I was thinking, wow, like, I want to be like Anne. I want people to be like, I met Alice, and I just knew that this person called the Lord was pursuing me. There's a guy who hasn't grown up in church, doesn't have a Christian family. All of his family are atheists. He is, like, really smart, thought-provoking. He's in his late 20s, early 30s. Like, it's not like he grew up around it and then was like, oh, Here's Jesus pursuing me. He has no idea what he's talking about, but the words he used was, when I met Anne, I felt that God was pursuing me. Not Anne. He met Jesus in Anne. How extraordinary is that? I was just like blown away. Another example is that my husband, um, well, I don't, the thing is, I was going to say what his job is. I don't understand his job, so I won't say what his job is. He's a consultant, which we all know means nothing. I don't know what that means, but he is one, and he does it as a job. Um, but he works for a company called KPMG in the city, and obviously, it's not known to be the most kingdom-bringing place working in the city. And um, he, when he started his job... Um, he met his boss, basically. Side note, we had prayed, Lord, we want his boss to be a Christian, which we felt wild about. Like, that's not going to happen. He met this boss. His boss hired him, is a Christian. His wife is also a vicar. Mental. Already mental. Anyway, Brandon and Jeremy start a prayer meeting at KPMG. They meet every Monday. There's about 20 of them that meet across different teams. And they meet to pray that the kingdom of God will come to KPMG. And last week I was speaking to Brandon and um, he had been like at a team event. And he was speaking to this one woman who isn't a Christian, you know, just, he was just chatting about work stuff. And he said, oh, who do you most enjoy working with? And she went on to list about four or five people. All of them are Christians. My favorite people to work with are Brandon, Jeremy, whoever, whoever, whoever. She just listed them off. And Brandon in that moment was like, I have an opportunity to tell her about Jesus. I have an opportunity to tell her that the reason you like working with us is not because of us, it's because we have a Lord who loves you and who can speak to you through us. And the way that we actually interact with people at work is different from the non-Christians. We're not trying to like squeeze your time. We're not trying to disrespect your family. We're not trying to like get money out of you. Basically, our kingdom is different to the kingdom of KPMG. And that's the reason you like working with us. And I was so encouraged that actually that could happen in a corporate environment or in a work environment. So my question is, how can we do that in our context?
I recognize it's probably a bit easier for me because I go, I work for a church, and then everybody goes, has a response. Sometimes the response is not very nice. <laughs> Other times the response is quite interesting. But it's easier for me. But my question to you and why I gave those examples is what does that look like for you? How can you be Jesus in your life? I think he has a plan. I think it's going to be done by living like Jesus. So us behaving like Jesus, us being kind people, us loving people well, us having time to listen to people's stuff and to hold it with them and to cry with them. But I also think it's about us talking about Jesus. I know this might be a shock, but we do actually have to talk about him. We do actually have to tell stories about how he's changed our lives. I know it feels like social suicide, but we have to do it. It is what we are called to do. When we are Christians, we are called to say, I know Jesus. He makes a difference to my life. Here's an example that you can't argue with because it's my testimony. I always think about how, and obviously not in an, in an obnoxious way. I'm not talking about silencing someone and being like, well, I'm right because blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about us doing it with confidence and with conviction because Jesus loves us and because we've experienced his love. When I talk about this, I often remember there's a verse in Revelation that says, they triumphed over him, so over Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So what does that mean? It means we actually have to talk about Jesus. We actually have to have a testimony to tell. And just a side note that I haven't written down, sometimes people say to me, because I didn't grow up as a Christian, it's easier for me to tell my testimony because it's like somehow more like wham, bam. I experienced the spirit and I was on the floor and then I believed in Jesus and blah, blah, blah. I was converted by a person who had been Christian for, since they were like six. They just knew to the depths of them that Jesus was who he said he was. I found it deeply compelling. I found her conviction about Jesus deeply compelling. So can I encourage you, you don't need to have some like wham-bam story to be convincing because you aren't the one convincing them. It's the presence of Jesus in you and you believe in him and he's powerful and his kingdom reigns. And so people like me become Christians through people like you. So please keep talking about Jesus. Okay, so what else does salt do? It's a preservative. So salt reduces the, the water activity of foods so that less microbial growth happens. Big word. And salt is also an antiseptic. So salt kills certain types of bacteria and by effectively, I think, by effectively sucking water out of them, basically. Won't go into the actual science. I'm not a scientist. But the point is, as followers of Jesus, we are called to stop and deter the powers of corruption in our world. And what causes corruption is, simply put, sin. Both our own personal sin and corporate world sin. When we aren't worshipping God, who is the source of all goodness and life, we automatically worship something else. We are worshiping people. I mean, I could give you loads of examples of that in our world, but we love to worship. And usually when it's not God, it's usually ourselves, which is why sometimes we can talk about sin as a life turned in on itself, a life about me, a life about what I want. And it's when this introspection is magnified, I think that it leads us to all kinds of selfishness and greed and subjugating people um, and, you know, their desires and their needs for our own desires. 
I think that's even at the heart of things like drug cartels and human trafficking and corporations making obscene amounts of money while other people can't live and communicating that humans in small boats are likened to animals. I would suggest that the main idols of humans over the centuries are money, sex, and power. By the way, if you haven't read Timothy Keller's book on this, Counterfeit Gods, do. Very powerful, also quite challenging, but very good. Jesus' teaching on this stuff is completely countercultural. And in most instances, counterintuitive. It cuts across the grain of what we think we should do and our natural tendencies towards selfishness and self-preservation. And it invites us to live with supernatural love and being connected to a God who is the source of love. So Jesus is telling us that if we really choose to become his disciples, the way we earn and spend our money, the way we behave sexually, the way we seek and use any power that is given to us has to be radically different to cultural norms. What is clear is that we are called to live by a very different set of values to the world. John 1, 3 says this, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him, in Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because, of, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So Jesus's whole mission in coming to earth is to destroy the hold of the devil on the earth. And we're invited to join him. First, by keeping check on our own personal sins. So we've got to get into the presence of God and be like, hey, can you clean me up? I've, we were just talking about this actually before the service. I was making a joke about how I often think of God slightly grinning at me every time I'm like, hello, I've done the same cyclical sin I always do. Please, can you love and forgive me? And he's like, yes, obviously. But also, why do I always do the same things? I know we all do that, but we all have these cyclical patterns of sin. But so we've got to, to become able to be empowered to be with him in building his kingdom. We come to him, we get cleaned up ourselves, we receive the forgiveness that is freely given to us. And also then we act to stop corruption in our world. And I think this is where the church of God has been a force in human history. We've been an antiseptic so far, but there's so many things that we can clean and prevent and remove from our society now. But obviously, I just want to recognize that there has always there has also been Christians or people calling themselves Christians that have been involved in perpetrating horrible things, racism, hatred, cruelty. But I actually think this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. This is salt losing its saltiness. When we have ceased to be connected, submitted, serving him, when we've ceased to receive the love of God, to be transformed and renewed by the power of God, we end up worshipping 
the idols of the age, money, sex, power. And we, even worse, use the name of Jesus to get what we want. I don't think that's Jesus. I don't think that's the kingdom. I think it's sin. So how do we make sure that we're not losing our saltiness? Well, surprise, surprise, I don't think we get our views from TikTok or from The Guardian or any other news outlet or from our friend's advice. These are all great things. They're all made by people who are made in the image of God. But we've got to beware of making good things God things. Because that's idolatry, which is a whole other talk. But we stay salty by keeping the two train tracks in our lives that we know to be solid and true and good and loving. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, receiving God's love over and over and over and over again and staying rooted in scripture. Staying rooted on the track that we know is true in the Bible. Okay, so I just want to take a quick sidestep here. And I hope you guys will, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Amuse me. Amuse what I've been reading about. But I think it's really interesting if you look into some of the things about um, salt and sacrifices in the Old Testament. I think it brings us some more depth about what Jesus is saying here. So, salt was required in the Old Testament for sacrifices. The grain offering actually wouldn't be offered without salt. Leviticus 2 says this, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings and salt, add salt to all your offerings. So this salt is a symbol of the covenant between God and humans. In ancient Near Eastern covenant ceremonies, people would eat bread and they would put salt on it to like seal the deal. So this is actually really like ingrained in Old Testament um, covenants between God and people. So Jesus is the bread of life and we are the salt of the earth. And so the physical tabernacle has now become the dwelling of God with us in a body. And then we add the, the salt, which is the covenant, you and me. So we are the sign to the world of an enduring covenant of loving, forgiving God's experience with us to a world that is broken so we are basically representing this same covenant that has now been fulfilled in the world so Jesus then extends and changes the metaphor from salt to light you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So obviously, this is a different picture, but I think it communicates a very similar message. Each of us are to bring light to dark places. Jesus is the light of the world, and we must be bold in letting people see him. We can't keep it to ourselves. We can't keep him to ourselves. And in Jesus' time, people would navigate their way around in the dark using like towns on hills. They would be like, where, where do we've got to go? Like they would navigate their way around different valleys and different hills and stuff using these towns. And arguably people, as we've mentioned, are stumbling in the dark all around us. Our city, our neighborhoods of Southeast London are plagued with 
you know, epidemics of poverty, depression, violence, anxiety, mental health crises, crises in identity and purpose. The people around us are dying, both physically and spiritually, for want of light. And we are called to be the navigation system back to Jesus. HT is called to be the navigation system back to Jesus. And this is where the power of the spirit and spiritual gifts come in, I think. So that guy I was talking about off of the life course, I was about to use his name, shouldn't use his name. Um, But the guy who was invited by Anne, who said, oh my gosh, the Lord is pursuing me or God is pursuing me. So he, on the life course, um, he became a Christian a couple of weeks ago. And that whole process was wild. It was so beautiful to watch. But particularly, there was a Holy Spirit um, away day that we did, basically, as part of the life course. And while we were pre- we lead people in, this is what we believe to be true about the Holy Spirit. This is why we pray in the way that we pray. Then we give people the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit and to wait on God and to ask God to speak to them. And so we led this group of people into an opportunity to be prayed for. And um, this guy was stood there. And Anne goes up to him and has this picture of him. um, Let me get this right. She has a picture of him. Why am I forgetting this? Because I had a prophetic word for for him afterwards. Oh, she had a picture of him in the bath as a child, like five or six years old, making loads of mess everywhere. And she just felt God say, I just love it when you make mess. I just am so pleased with you when you're in the bath making mess. And then I came up to him afterwards and I had a picture of a cardboard box and I was like, oh my gosh, this could go terribly. Why do I have a picture of a cardboard box? So I just said, look, I've got a picture of a cardboard box and I see you walking into it. And I feel like what the Lord is saying is that his love is not empty. His love is not hollow. His love is not, you know, far away. He wants to embrace you. He wants to experience his warmth. He wants you to experience his closeness. He doesn't want you to be on your own, basically. So afterwards, bearing in mind, both of those words, quite simple. Sure. We'll just go for it, see what God does. Afterwards, he comes up to us and says, so you guys don't know this, but when I was six or seven, my, I was playing in the bath and I was making loads of mess and my dad got really, really angry with me. And he got so angry that he got into an argument with my mum and he left that night for eight years. I didn't see him for eight years. And during that time... I developed this kind of desire for this specific teacher at school to really love me, this male teacher at school. And he's processed processed some of this, but he was basically like, this male teacher became like, please can you love, please can you parent me, basically. But this male teacher was very strict. And every time he did something wrong, this male teacher would send him into the corner with a box and he would have to sit with a box on his head until he basically stopped misbehaving. Now, Anne and I obviously have no idea that this is what's really going on underneath it all. Anne and I just got a picture of a kid in a bath and also a cardboard box. I mean, it literally couldn't be more weird and also like 
it could mean absolutely nothing. But the experience was that it meant everything. The experience for him was that Jesus knows me. Jesus has seen me. Jesus has walked me through my childhood. And he was there. He saw it. He experienced it with me. How powerful. My point with that story was that it's not about me. And it's not about Anne. And it's not about a gift. It literally couldn't have been more out of the blue. My experience of hearing God's voice, just if this is helpful, is that it literally feels like an intrusive thought. It doesn't feel like, hello down there. This is a cardboard box. Tell the, you know, I don't hear God's voice like that. It's not some audible voice. It's not some like overwhelming sense. It's not some like highlighted like, this is from the Lord. Tell someone. That's not what I experienced. What I experienced is I wasn't thinking of a cardboard box before, but now I am. So I guess I'll set out my mouth and just see what happens. And sometimes I say things out of my mouth and people are like, <laughs> like tumbleweed. <laughs> like it means nothing, but sometimes it speaks to someone who's had a cardboard box in their head for years of their life. So if you're feeling like you're not full of the light of Christ and you don't know what the Lord is saying, then can I remind you that this is what the cross is for? It's actually for us to come back to him, to receive his forgiveness, for us to draw close to him, to us, for us to experience his love. And this is also what the Holy Spirit is for, for us to be filled and empowered by him so that it's not about us. So we don't worry about us making stupid mistakes because actually it's not about us. It's not about what we can say, it's about what he does and what he can say. In John's epistle, he instructs us to walk in the light as he is in the light and something about that wording really encourages me and comforts me, and I think it should encourage and comfort us, because this light is an ongoing, moving process. This is not like a one-and-done thing. This is us deciding every day, okay, I'm going to have a go at walking in the light. I'm going to come along the side of Jesus and try and walk in his light. And the good news also is that we do this together. So, the, I don't know whether you remember, but when the, I think it was, when the, it was the Queen's Jubilee, there was these, um, what do you call them? Why do I always do this? I always forget these little words that I'm like, mm. beacons, yes, come on. Dyslexia comes to say hello. Um, <laughs> But during the Jubilee, there was these beautiful beacons lit up all over the Commonwealth. And the whole point of them was to say, you know, the kingdom of Lizzie is here or something. Um, but the reason I say that is because I, I think how much more powerful if our churches could be beacons for the kingdom of God, the king of kings and the lord of lords and the person who has a kingdom that everybody needs to be part of. And so my encouragement would be that we do this together. We do this together as you, like you as an HT body, you as a family, you as a community. It's not about you being a city on a hill on your own. It's you joining your light as one to become brighter for the people of Forest Hill and Sydenham. And then the encouragement is also that you don't do this in, like in a solitary church way. We're all trying to build the kingdom together. And we believe that God's kingdom can come powerfully to southeast london 
I just think, imagine if you can do even more than what you did yesterday. Imagine all of the examples that you can give. Imagine what dance will do. Imagine what more community events will do. Imagine what um, the baby group will do. Like you have, s the thing that I came away from feeling yesterday was there's 150 or whatever people who can get invited to church. If they're willing to come to a community event, they're willing to hear about Jesus. If they saw on a flyer, a church is throwing a community event and they showed up, I think that means they're open. And they're open to hear about the salt and light that we have and that they need. So in conclusion, without arrogance, I have to say that we have the only answer. Politicians have ideas, councils have programs, but they're not going to fix the deep spiritual hunger that people have. These programs will address some of the, you know, presenting problems. We like them. Yes, more please, Lord. Amen. But they can't address the root problems of trauma and a longing to find home and a longing to experience the powerful love of a father in heaven. We have that. Only we. And we have to be giving it away. So be encouraged that we have hope and light, that we are salty by the presence of Jesus, <laughs> that we are shiny to people out there, even when it doesn't feel like it. Okay, so if you feel comfortable, why don't you stand? I'm just going to have some time to pray. I'm so hot. <laughs>